We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, sunshine. Greetings from the great state of Minnesota. From what has to be said is an absolute cathedral to soccer. We are broadcasting live tonight from Allianz Field. It is something special. Absolutely. We are in the beer hall here at Allianz Field, the beer hall that has 96 different taps. They are all behind us, and we have a wonderful show for you tonight. Uh, first things first, this is not the Men in Blazers show. Uh, it will become readily apparent uh, if it is not already. Uh, we are here to have some fun. We are here to talk to some wonderful people uh, and to celebrate what's happening here, but also uh, in the context of what's happening in a much greater way all across this country with the sport that we know uh, and love. Wonderful guests, as I said, uh, including your very own, you know him, you love him, Adrian Heath, coach of your Minnesota United team. Yep. Also coming up to uh, the stage here will be uh, Katie Witham. She is, without a doubt, the brains of our organization when I talk about any type of Fox broadcast with regards to Major League Soccer. So she's going to come up here and grace us with her presence and her wisdom. Uh, and then also a local legend, but also a soccer legend that I wanted to have on the show to give some perspective as to what has happened uh, in, this, uh, in this great area of the country and uh, talk about what's happening across the country. Uh, Bruce McGuire, who is a, as I said, a legend when it comes to soccer uh, in this area. On the State of the Union, I am often uh, next to uh, my, my good friend, David Mossy. He is back in Los Angeles right now listening to the show. I want to shout out to him uh, and thank him for everything that he does uh, with this show. He is not here tonight, and so uh, you're filling some very, very big shoes here, my bald friend. Uh, right next to me is another legend, uh, and certainly a legend in the making when it comes to broadcasting the game. Uh, one of the, and I think uh, one of the great You've voices. You've got off script now. I'm very concerned where this is going. One of the great voices in American soccer, John Strong. Filling in Thank for you. David Mossy. Give him a, give him a hand. I, I will say, between Men and Blazers and the Cooligans, this has become the live soccer podcast capital of the upper Midwest. So really impressive stuff. I will say, I mean, this place is, this building is incredible. 
Um, this brew hall is very cool. I sort of wonder if indoor heating is to Minnesota what air conditioning is to Texas. It's like an art form. It just it feels very warm in here, though. I don't. It's too hot. I just I run. Uh, so just hold on. Here. Oh God. Too, here we go. A little too warm here. Oh here my God. Hold on. Sorry. All right. I'm better now. Just it's a little warm. Okay, we're good. Keep it's going. Gorgeous. Stand up so the folks in the back here, can, can see we? what you're wearing here. This is. Uh, there we so go. So this is my Alexia Lawless shirt. We got this in Columbus a couple years ago. True story. A uh, couple years ago, we go to dinner, Lex and I and Katie in Manhattan Beach, California, and I wore this T-shirt, and Lexi was mortified. Oh, mortified. So this was the number one thing that I said if we're going to do. I haven't worn this shirt since the Trinidad game. I'm not exaggerating that. Have you been lifting? Uh, a little bit. I put on the Ryan Bailey workout plan. So, <laughs> hey, we're going to get our revenge in Cleveland, right? Come on. Who's coming with me? Yeah. And then we're bringing it back here. Well, no, it'll be here first, then Cleveland. Is it here? Oh, that yeah. will come there. Guyana! Yeah! Guyana! There we go. All right, listen. Anyway, uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for, uh, for uh, having me back. Now, you have a long tradition when it comes to this uh, area of the country uh, in particular uh, that goes back to your yeah. uh, broadcasting so and supporters pack, uh, so, background. So we went to the National Sports Center today. That's where Minnesota United uh, trains. I called games there a decade ago uh, with the Portland Timbers in USL. I, ca I called radio games. In fact, I specifically remember, I probably told the story to you already. Um, the first week of July in 2009, I called Portland versus Seattle, the Open Cup game. Then I called a radio game here, and I thought I'd hit the big time. Like, I was calling radio games on the road. This was amazing. So it was actually really neat to be back here today um, to, to see that old building. But, again, you, you transform what that was, what you saw that building which has a lot of history in it. Uh, the Minnesota Thunder in those days and then the Stars and now United to come to this. Uh, and, and that's as good an example of the growth of soccer in America as anywhere else, just right here in the Minnesota area. So really, really cool to be back here today. It is. You I'm know, actually really getting cold in this. I no, you can put back on. Yeah, it's fine. It's really chilly. I've been coming to this area for, for years with, uh, what was it, uh, U.S. festivals, I yeah, guess it was trying called. to remember all I the different. Remember the name of the it. Different it was so long ago. We're going to Blaine and doing Chiquita clinics and uh, with the, the you know the Lagos family both on and off the field and all that. So I've been I've been coming to this uh, neck of the woods for a long time, and it and it certainly warms the cockles of my redheaded heart to see what has happened uh, and what is continuing the to happen of my here. Heart so need yeah, to be warm back up here. You want you all right, John? Should we light this candle as they say? Let's do it. Should we start this off? For those of you that are new and maybe haven't listened to the pod, uh, each and every week. Uh, I take a subject and I talk about it in my State of the Union. Uh, this week I have picked one uh, that isn't necessarily specifically directed to, uh, to Minnesota uh, or what's happening here, but much more so uh, what is happening in soccer out there. Uh, I try to uh, look at the game through uh, red, white, and blue colored glasses here, and each and every week I do my State of the Union. I'm going to turn to this camera, I'm going to do it. Uh, you may agree, you may disagree, but uh, you can't go anywhere because we've locked the doors, uh, and so you're going to have to listen. And this week, the State of the Union goes a little something like this. All right. I think American soccer fans are the most educated, sophisticated, and interesting fans in the world. Out of necessity, when you grow up in a country and a culture where soccer isn't king, you're forced to seek out the game in a different and a unique way because you can't count on it coming to you. In the US, soccer isn't ubiquitous. It's not part of mainstream media. It's not ingrained in our collective history. So American soccer fans become true citizens of the soccer world. They often think globally 
and act locally. Now, when it comes to watching soccer, as we all know on television, there is a dizzy, dizzying orgy of choices. Our country's wonderful diversity has meant that Americans are exposed to a wide array of different soccer views, styles, and cultures, and that is reflected in our unique fandom. A typical American soccer fan will support a domestic club team, a national team, either the U.S. or other, an international club team, often teams from multiple foreign leagues, a college team, a youth club. That is a pretty expansive and cosmopolitan soccer palette. Your typical daily American soccer discussion is eclectic and can veer from Michael Bradley to Mo Salah to Alex Morgan to TV ratings to Messi to funding soccer-specific stadiums to team branding to promotion relegation to expansion fees to pay-to-play to sports law to NWSL to USL to NISA to Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, EPL, and more. This country has raised a generation of soccer fans steeped, not in one soccer, but in all soccer. And in doing so, we've created a unique soccer culture where a wide breadth of knowledge is expected, celebrated, and necessary. That, my friends, is my... Now... Now, this does not necessarily apply to everybody, uh, and I don't think that this is pandering to the audience, although you better know your audience out there. But this is, you know, this is something that we have talked about before. As I always ask David Mossy, and I will ask you, do you agree with my initial premise that American soccer fans, and not everybody, just not stopping somebody on the street, but in general, American soccer fans, people that are in this bar tonight, are more educated, more interesting, uh, than other soccer fans around the world out of necessity because they've had to be. Well, yeah, they're definitely more exposed because the soccer market here is so unique, and it's so funny because you mention all those different ways to be a soccer fan in America, and, and what you haven't mentioned is what is the most popular soccer league in America by TV ratings by a mile, which is Liga MX in Mexico. You know, for that matter, I, and I never knew, I learned this week, apparently the, the pent-up, unrequited demand for live Ecuadorian league football in South Florida. I, I never knew that was such a – the market was, was braying for that. Um, but it is, and, and so as a fan, it can be pretty fun. I think if you're trying to sell soccer in this country, it becomes really difficult because you've named a, a plethora of competing leagues, competitions, things to be interested in, let alone all the other sports that there are. So while it's an amazing place to be a fan, I think it's actually very difficult to try to – you know, make money off of soccer for that reason because it is so splintered. There's so much. I think that's the challenge of certainly MLS to try to cut through that forest of options and opportunities. And that's where something like this is significant, even just creating a hub where, yes, you're going to support your European team, you're going to support the women's team, but to come here and do it in the MLS building and to try to tie it all around the local club because, and I'm a firm believer in this, having been a supporter at one time now as a broadcaster. I love the European game. I watch it. I'm watching on Saturday and Sunday mornings. I was blessed for a couple seasons to get to have called the Champions League and the Europa League. For me, there will never be anything that means nearly as much as the smell of the cut grass or, or the ground rubber, in the case of artificial surfaces, and being able to be there in person and, right. and supporting your local team. There's nothing that approaches that. Um, and, and I think the primacy of that is something that it, it doesn't have to be a zero something. It can be a rising tide lifting all boats, but there's a lot going on here. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, with that education comes all of these different choices. Right. But also with that, that education and that huge palette that we have 
comes the inevitable compare and contrast yeah. with the rest of the world. And we, we, we do this all the time. Uh, we, you know, we, we wear our heart on our sleeve, our insecurities, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but when that compare and contrast happens with something like this that we have behind us, yeah. not only do you live up to it, but look, there are, I would say, 90% of the clubs around the world that would kill or die yeah. to have what is behind us right here. And so that, that compare and contrast... And yet how many people believe that? How, how, many, how many people that believe that? Yeah. No, I mean... I, I think that's the objective truth, and we've heard it from players yep. who have come from overseas who say that. It's great here. A and yet it's, it's difficult to break, I think, some of... You know, in 2019, it's impossible to change a person's mind. A and, and that becomes trying to convince people or just... Inter I always said... When I was on the radio in Portland, I was the street preacher of soccer, and I'm out on the corner with my sandwich board. If you just come to church once, you're going to see. You just, we got to get you in the building, and I think that's where things like this uh, are important to try to show people. Does it hurt the game, whatever the game is about your definition, does it hurt the game that we, we talk about so many things that have nothing to do with actually kicking the ball. You know, the, the list that I had in my State of the Union, all the different yeah. things. It's wonderful that we're educated. It's wonderful that everybody is so engaged in this sport and what's happening and lawsuits and, and, and all the intricacies and all you know, getting into the weeds. But does it hurt the progress and the evolution of the game that people are talking about so many things that have nothing to do with kicking the ball? Because there are some people that believe that, and we've been in those conversations. Absolutely. <laughs> of late. I, I don't know the answer to that because I do think those are important things. As soccer in America grows, we have to make sure that the right decisions are being made. But I also agree that we devolve into these esoteric conversations sometimes that have very little to do, A, with what matters most, which is the, the sport on the field, but also sometimes don't really have anything to do with growing the sport on the field as well. That, that, that things are, in the echo chamber of social media, amplified to a greater importance of what they really are and yet there's also that street cred that if you're not if we're not talking on air about promotion or relegation and pay to play and this and that somehow you know we're part of the system and we're part of the problem and so we fall into that trap sometimes as well whereas I would imagine that there are a great many fans out there who couldn't possibly care less about some of these things they want to watch the sport they want to be entertained they want to enjoy themselves yeah but I, I think that our audience as you said has to be and, and is engaged in so many more yeah. things. So, for example, tomorrow when we're doing the game on FS1 and we do our halftime. Good plug. You know, FS1, like FS1, 130 FS1 Eastern. There we go. Minnesota United, D.C. United. <laughs> when we're doing that game and at halftime I have to talk about something. Have you know, to? Well, yeah. Get to? It's part of my job, too. And I get to. It's incredibly <laughs> It was written in your contract. It you is. get 90 <laughs> seconds per game, whatever I, you want. You know, I could talk about X's and O's and I could yeah. talk about strategy and, and – uh, and all, all that kind of stuff. Or I could do a much bigger type of topic in order to get as many people in the tent as, uh, as possible. I don't, I don't know if this is a good thing, but ultimately, this is, this is who we are. And this is something that we are going to have to deal with going forward as we get bigger. But hopefully, as we get bigger, there's more and more opportunities yeah. that when that compare and contrast and that inevitable compare and contrast happens, that they come out looking the way you would look if you were comparing facilities, for, yeah. s for example, right now. Uh, or if you're uh, comparing supporters and the history and the passion, the understanding that they have, or the unique aspect of the supporters' culture we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit. We're also going to talk about uh, the ownership that we have as soccer people of our game, uh, the territorial yeah. type of things that we do, all of those different things uh, coming up. But I think it's time for us to bring up our first guest. What do you think? Oh, well, I think we're losing half the crowd here in the brew hall. So exactly. They, they don't, they don't want to hear. They, they want a real star. They want somebody that they relate to. They want somebody that they know. They want somebody that they love. They want the one and only 
You know him. You love him. You want him. Adrian Heath! Thanks so much. We're going to put a microphone up for you. Uh, the head coach of the get a microphone Minnesota Minnesota Night. Show. Uh, he's going to sign the entire thing. It's going to be beautiful. You didn't know that he could, that he could do it. He's coming right behind you this there, is, coach. This is quite the production it's, we it's put gonna in here. Be, uh, it's going to be beautiful. And we're going to get you out of here because I know you have much, much more important things uh, to think about with the game, uh, with the game tomorrow. I, I, I guess my first, first question to you is having seen the American soccer culture uh, from so many different ways uh, and coming, coming to it from another country and assimilating and understanding it maybe more so than anybody and having that really interesting uh, perspective and unique perspective on what the American game is. When I start talking about the American soccer fan and the American soccer culture, does any of that resonate with you? I mean, this, you don't have to agree or, 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 or disagree with me, but do you see the evolution of soccer that's happening before our eyes? Um, when I look at how far the game's come on since the 11, the 11 years I've been in the States, I find it incredible what we've done. There must have been, what, 10 stadiums have been built, brand new stadiums. I look at the, the infrastructure within all the clubs, the, the youth development program that's going on. But just even the, the education level, I think, of the average fan, I think with people like yourselves, all the programs that we're getting now, they're far more educated now than they were when I first arrived here. But the one thing I sort of resonated with me, what you were talking about before is, I think that if you were a, a sort of quirky type of guy, perceived to be, to be a soccer fan, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that people right. actually have a little. It's much bit cooler. A, yeah, it's a little bit saying? cooler to be a soccer fan these days. Hey, there's a lot of people out there that, that were the uncool kids, you yeah. know, that, that were doing the soccer. They were flying the flag uh, of soccer for many, many years when it was underground. It was niche, and now it's very, very cool. My, my first assistant in uh, Austin, Ron, who uh, he was called Ron the Red. They called him a communist at, sc at school because he was the only guy who liked soccer. So we've come a long way from then, uh, Lexi. Yeah. To be fair, he was actually a communist. Yeah, well, that from was Russia. a separate issue. Well, from St. Petersburg. <laughs> I, I would be so, and again, for you know, for people that are watching the podcast online, you know, your background as a very high-profile player in England, but also not just coaching here. I mean, I remember calling those Austin Aztecs games in multiple different high school football stadiums there, yeah. and then coming through Orlando. And yes, it's grown undoubtedly. How far can this go? Like, like you, again, you have such a unique perspective here. What are the things that we need to make sure we are focusing on as opposed to the things that we sometimes get distracted by to make sure that soccer in America can achieve what it is capable of? Well, I think the stadiums have helped. That's given it some credibility, certainly in Europe. You know, when you used to watch the old games and you had all the lines across them and you were playing in a 70,000 st stadium and there may be 12,000 people in there. That doesn't help for the perception of the game. So the stadiums like this have certainly helped. I think the national team, it's always really important. And I know you go on about you know, the failure to make the last World Cup, I think it was a huge blow for the game in this country. So we have to make, make sure that we, that we do everything we can to make sure they have all the, the necessary tools for the national teams to be successful, men and women, because I think the women have they've helped carry the game for over a long period of time. But for me, I think it's just the evolution of everything gradually getting better. I think the, the standard on the field is getting better. I look at some of the, the coaches like, like Jesse going ab abroad now. I think that's good for the game now. That's giving the, the league credibility. And I just think the game's on a, a huge up, upturn. And I think as long as we keep incrementally every year making it better and stronger, 
and I don't see anywhere reason why in, in the next 10 to 15 years it can't be as mainstream as the other three or four major sports that we consider to be the major sports. With all of the expansion that is happening, uh, obviously we have all of these new teams, and with yeah. those new teams, having coaches come in and be in charge of an expansion team. It's a, it's a different skill set. Uh, you, you know it well. You've, you've been <laughs> there. Twice, yeah. uh, you, you've, been, you've been there twice. So can you explain to our, our viewers uh, and, uh, and the p folks that are listening out there, what do you think it, it means and what does it take in order to be successful in the expansion process, being a coach of the team in terms of managing expectations, yeah. but also doing your job and doing it in very unique circumstances? I, I think one of the things is, like, see, everybody comes in at, comp at a little different level. You know, you look at Atlanta. You know, I, I, I go crazy when I hear that people compare us with Atlanta when they've put so much money on the field because they haven't had to build what we've built here. It's no unfair. It's a you're coming from a completely different level. You know, when I look at what we had here, you know, they had to spend the money to get the franchise. They had to do the training facility. They've had to spend 250 million on this place. We are coming from a different perspective than Orlando was, than Cincinnati was. So every every club's different. I think the most important thing is trying to manage manage expectations because everybody wants to win. The bottom line is when you start a, a brand new club, I think. When I arrived here, we had two players signed. Four weeks, five weeks later, we've got to have 25. It's, it's, it's difficult. And I think the year and a half preparation before is so important. And I think for the one bit of advice I would give any club who's coming in as an expansion club, make sure you use the most of that year and a half that you have before you actually make that leap. Because there's so much work needs to be done that you don't realize. Okay, I, I've heard this argument before. And, and this is an incredible th cathedral, as yeah. we said. 250 million, whatever yeah. it ends up being. Uh, does that mean that because of the money spent on the infrastructure and this wonderful place to play, that Minnesota can't compete? Well, it's, it's difficult to compete if, if from day one. I'm, 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 I think once we get to the stage now where we've got the infrastructure in that every f proper football club needs, now we can start to really address the, okay. you know, the important things, which is people want to see Darwin Quintero on the field. They want to see people like that on the field. I'm sure that when Almiron came and when Barco came and when Joseph Martinez came, but you can't do everything. Right. There has to be some sort of order. But, ex but at some point, the excuse of, yes, but we have a beautiful building that we spent a lot of money on, that has to go away, right? Of course it does. And ultimately... Now, you, once you start to get to a stage where you think you're on an equal footing, I think it's right for everybody to go, right, now what are we doing? And I think that's only fair because everybody's, everybody's accountable. I think it's only fair that at this point I recognize Dr. Bill McGuire, who's in the house, uh, one of your owners. Ben Grossman, one of your owners. I, I, I think Chris Wright is in the house. Uh, so, you know, when I'm... When I'm asking these questions, obviously yeah. I'm asking it from a national perspective. I'm asking it as somebody who does not live uh, in, in this market yeah. and somebody that, you know, my job is to talk about what goes ultimately on the field. And so, as you said, that, that excuse of, yes, it's a beautiful building, and it is a beautiful building, and the amount that was spent yeah. uh, should absolutely come into play when we're, talk when we're talking about it. But ultimately, these people that are sitting here having beer – it's a wonderful shell, and it's a wonderful box, but you've got to put something inside that's going to bring them back week after week after week, which is your job. So do you think that you are moving in that direction to give them something on the field, not to be proud of, because they're already proud, but something that is going to compete on a consistent basis when it comes to Major League Soccer? I think so. I think when you look at the performance the other night against 
Galaxy, they've spent that much money to put that team on the field. We were more than a match to them the other night. We were the better team after the first 10 minutes. We went to Toronto the year before, uh, the week before. You know, we gave away some stupid goals, but in between that, our, our football, the people that we have on the field, we can compete with anybody in this league at this moment in time. We still need to add. We need to add players. We need to keep getting better, not resting on what we've got. But if we can add two or three more players to this group, then I feel as though we have a capability of going on the field every single Saturday or Wednesday and competing at the highest level. All right, so saying that, tomorrow, 1.30 Eastern, FS1, DC United, Minnesota United. Yeah, that in, John. What, what happens? Well, we, you know, they're not top of the East because they've come here and they're not in good form. You know, I think what's gone, the transformation since Wayne got in the team and then moving to Audi, the Audi, is it Audi field, field yeah. has been incredible. But I think Wayne has been the catalyst for that. And I think, obviously, his relationship with Acosta, I think Ariola's particularly playing well at this particular moment. Obviously, the Rodriguez kid. But, hey, you know, it's, it's what it is. We know what, we know what they're coming here with. They're going to be very, very good in transition. We know they've got good combination in and around the penalty area. But if we can play like we did the other night, we'll cause them problems. What's your uh, starting 11? Nobody's watching. Nothing? You got enough? Come on. Don't worry. Manny Lagos. Amos McGee. Johnny Minyonger. Brian Kalman. Yeah. All right. So you have some owners in the room. Uh, if you were to sit down with them and say, these are the things, not, not from a team perspective, but from a league perspective, you could get into that owner's meeting and say, these are the things that I think need to be done in order to propel this league. And... You know, uh, in relation soccer because yeah. of uh, because of how important MLS is. Uh, what are some of those things that you would give? Uh, 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 you would have them do travel. What do you mean? I would make sure that you could uh, charter travel. Charter travel, yeah. That I does seem to be the next big conversation. Charter airplanes. Sort of that is the key to success in soccer. Is that really what it is? I'm is sure. that what it is? By the way, when you've been doing it for eight months of the year, it <laughs> becomes the thing. I would says, I says the guy who's yeah running back of the bus coach here on, yeah, on exactly. his travels. So I man. think I think that's going to be the, one of the will have to be addressed because I know from the out, listening to the players that is one of their major concerns. Facilities always you know I think if you look at some of the training facilities now they need upgrading around the league. Most teams now are spending money on the training facilities, and I just think I personally, and I know it's it's, a, it's a, people talk about it being that will never happen. It's stupid. I would love us for somehow to get involved in that Copa Libertadores. I don't know how we do it because of the travel. We may have to make the odd sacrifice for a Saturday game, make another Wednesday game. But I think that if we could get in a, a competition with the likes of River Plate, Boca Juniors, Flamengo, Cruzeiro, you name all them top, Europe, uh, top South American teams, I think it would give the game a huge boost in this well, country. In order to do that, you would have to agree that something would have to change when it comes to the expenditure. So would you be in favor of taking off the restraints, either the actual financial restraints or the restrictions out there when it comes to rosters out there, to enable owners, whether it's your owner or some other owner that has the ability and has the desire to spend whatever they want on their product for their market to, to be successful, whether it's in Copa Libertadores or in MLS, would you be in favor of doing that? I think if, at the end of the day, we've got that to a certain extent now, Lexi. You know, the Dallas model is completely different than the LA model. The Houston model is completely different from you know, LAFC. I think we've got a, a, a watered-down version of that as we speak now. I think there are certain clubs in the, in the league who are never going to be that club. What we have to be careful of is, and this is your, your football, not our football around the rest of the world, is the parity aspect is important for everybody. Everybody wants to think that they can make the playoffs. Is that a good thing? 
In my eyes, no. I think that everybody should stand on their own two feet and on their own merits. Have your own plan. Do what you think's right for you. And I think if even you if a separation occurs between the haves and the have-nots, the well, elites, the super clubs, well, and then everybody else. Do you think we've got, all got that now? We do, but relative to the rest of the world and other leagues, we still have the manufactured parity that the owners and that this league was built on right now. So, yes, there is a separation, and it started to happen, but certainly not to the extent that exists around the world. I think as long as it doesn't get to the stage where... I'm going to go back to my playing career today. I played for an incredible club called Everton. Can Everton win the title anymore? Probably not. And they've won it it ten times in their history. And now you're saying all of a sudden they cannot win it? Maybe Leicester, maybe not think, think different. That was an that. anomaly, we know that. I know, but what I'm saying is, if you look at it, a club like Everton, realistically, Newcastle United, can they ever win the title again? The answer's probably no, and I don't think that's good for the game. And I don't think a club should have a country's money to back and bankroll the fact that they want to be successful, as you look at Man City or whatever. I, I just want to know, you seem like such a, a, a pleasant, sort of fun guy. Why are you so angry? Is this so a surprise angry? to you? What? <laughs> Why are you so angry in this? That was what is f- this? What's going on I, here? I what? don't understand what. Hey, by the way, that was the really fir- upset that was about the first year. Here. Did you see us play? It was, was that was that <laughs> what this was? <laughs> the first year. <laughs> they did that. <laughs> they did that picture after about the first three months of the first season. <laughs> we because we actually called. You were with me, as I recall, the the, the first ever game for Minnesota in Portland. This is the first time either of us yeah. have called a Minnesota game since tomorrow. Five? Is that the five? Yeah, yeah. So so that that's although, where the interesting if, evolution. If you ever watch that again, John. We I won't, but continue. No, well, I have. We <laughs> I had, do you know we had more possession that day than anybody that season at Portland? Really? Yeah. And when it was 2-1... And but you eight, lost 5-1. <laughs> it was, Did you just well, say you had more possession? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> at 2-1, in the 82nd <laughs> yeah. minute, we were going forward. We were... Yeah. Hey, I can't vouch for the last eight minutes. Yeah, I just <laughs> said, yeah, but and you know what I you did? The guy who scored the first goal that day, you brought him into your team, Lawrence Olam. So that was, yeah, a, you, you know, go. just yeah. siphon off that way yeah. and... I, you know, I, and I would agree with your point that I, I think we romanticize the English game, but when most clubs in the league, their best hope is just to not get relegated. That's not a model for, for no. success here, obviously. I would definitely agree with that. I, I just, I guess my other thing would be, do you feel, because the argument is, if there was relegation here, the, the, the flame under the feet of clubs would make things better. You obviously played in leagues where that was the case. I Do you agree? Is, 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 it, is that what it is, or is there another mechanism which is more realistic to, to make sure that the bottom end is still competing as close as can be with the top end? Whether, we, whether we're at promotion, relegation, yeah, I'm not so sure. But when I watch, look at other sports within America, and I watch the baseball games and there's nobody in the stadium because it doesn't matter whether you win, lose, or draw, having been involved in both ends of the table, having the win on the last day of the season to stay up, and chasing the title where every single point throughout the year means something, I think the excitement levels of that bring. Now, I'm not sure that any of the ownership group. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Your owner's owner vigorously well, shaking his head over here. Yeah. Risk. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure any of the ownership group would like it, but I know the excitement that it brings at both ends of the table and the playoffs. So it's, uh, I don't know if we're ready for that yet, but as it grows and it evolves, I still can't see I, I can't for the life of me seeing it staying at 30. The country's too big and too many big cities who haven't got a team. What's a good number for you? Well, I think if you had, if you had an East and Western Conference, it may be 18 teams. In each team. So, okay, yeah, so 36. Each, yeah. You're looking at 36. Something like that to start with. And then, you know, then you have, you know, then you maybe going back to what we were saying, over a four or five year period, what do you do in terms of, yeah. could you even force promotion and relegation? I don't know. 
All right. Well, listen, you got much more th- uh, important things to worry about, uh, much bigger. Uh, Including Katie exactly. harassing you uh, tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, oh, yeah. 1.30 oh, yeah. Eastern on FS1. Uh, d- yeah. d- can I just say, though, uh, we, we do this with all the different teams, and we've done this for many, many years. You've always been incredibly accommodating, uh, and you understand television. You understand what we're trying to get. Yep. Uh, hopefully, we respect what, uh, what you're trying to do. We wish you luck tomorrow yep. and going forward uh, in this incredible stadium. Uh, but it's your job to make sure that you give the folks something to cheer about on the field. So that exactly. starts again tomorrow. So all right. Hopefully, we get that, uh, that wonder wall. Uh, that would be uh, nice. That, eh? would be, that would be wonderful for the yeah, first time actually in the new stadium. Be nice on FS1 at 1.30. 1.30 Eastern Unless FS1. anybody knows. Yeah. There we go. Adrian Eade, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Did you, did you ever think, by the way, because I, I was absolutely part of that Oasis thing in the mid-'90s. Right. I, I have that album a lot, that, that that would become a part of like American soccer culture. 20 no. years down the road, you'd be referencing, no. like, you know, down here, you know, BBVA Compass Stadium, they're singing Champagne Supernova after wins. Listen, like it's, you, you know, know it's, uh, you can't, in soccer, in American soccer, it's impossible to predict anything, <laughs> which makes it wonderful, uh, which makes it at times frustrating, but at times incredibly uh, wonderful. All right, speaking of American soccer, uh, we are going to turn our attention and bring up uh, yet another, de- uh, another guest, uh, a-, a man that needs no introduction in this neck of the woods but uh i will say that uh from a local uh and regional and national perspective uh bruce mcguire has been uh, such an important piece because he has an understanding he has a perspective uh he has a history on what has happened here locally but also uh in the context of what has happened across the country uh with soccer i wanted to bring him on ladies and gentlemen mr bruce mcguire That's, Thanks, that's a lot of vodka right there. That's impressive. Yeah, no. that's You're not I messing around. Again. Just a pint of vodka on the rocks. Yeah. That's the way he likes it, my friends. Rock and roll. Uh, speaking of, uh, of rock and roll and music, a lot of our conversations over the years have involved music. My first, my first question to you is this, this sense of, I guess, I guess it would be entitlement. You know how when you follow a band and you saw them with three people in a, in a bar and then they get big and... You, you, you have that ownership, and you don't want to let it go, and you don't want to share it. As the, so- the sport of soccer, which is that proverbial band in the small club, has gotten bigger and bigger, and while it might not be playing stadiums yet, it's certainly playing arenas right now, and, and, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing, but it also means sharing it with, uh, w- with people. Is this, uh, this protectionism that we have either nationally or regionally, territorially, in terms of how we look at our team and our sport, not necessarily specific to MLS, but just uh, American soccer, is, is it real, number one? And secondly, if it, is it real, is it detrimental? Is it problematic going forward? It's real in that it's human nature, and it's real that people haven't learned how to do it yet. Um, a lot of people, this is the first time that they've had a something in their life that's gone from nothing to something, in their lifetime, and I don't know how to explain to somebody how to deal with that. I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times with bands, and it was never easy at first. And then I learned to share, maybe is the right word, and and then you gotta take your excitement and just spread it out to other people. And I remember some of the, maybe the 98 or the 2002 World Cup, when there was those bursts here in America, mm-hmm. and, and some kind of older sports people would say to me, what do you think about all these bandwagon jumpers? And I said, the bandwagon has been empty for so long. <laughs> that we needed ballast. It's fantastic sakes. to have people here with me. 
And I don't care if you showed up today or a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, let's just go do this thing together. And I've learned to share. How has that process gone here? Because I can remember being in Portland as, as the Timbers transition from USL to MLS. I think there was a lot of anxiety from, from you know, Timbers Army to generalize, but people that have been around for a while. Would these new fans and would these new players respect our traditions? Would they care about this the same way that we do? I even remember there being, you know, would the players care about the rivalry with Seattle the same way that we have for a long time? In the end, yes, the question was resounding, yes, but there was still, as I said, some anxiety, and I think protectionism is a great word. How has that process gone here as you've taken, again, this, this band of dark clouds and other supporters that were here when it was not cool and were trying to forge something when no one else was interested, done as a lot of other people have now come into the tent? Well, for me, I always dreamed of that day when it, like a new supporters group would show up. And I remember the first time it happened and it shocked me because it was different from what in my mind I thought it was going to be. And I didn't embrace it immediately. And I had to step back and say, why should my values be their values? What did you think it was going to be? That's a great question. Yeah. I, I had this picture in my mind of, of worldly people, of, of fully embracing Minnesota soccer. I didn't think that it would be people who loved the English game so much. And that's what they brought to being a supporter, which was very different from the original supporters here who embraced it as Americans, strictly. And in the indie rock mode, in the we're outsiders in sports, these people came with the attitude of we're the insiders of sports and this is our team and nobody can mess with it where we were always come on let's have fun together we don't mess with people it was more a little bit more edge to it and that was very different for me but the people who weren't quite as excited about MLS I think are now coming to deal with it and they've learned their own way to attach to the club I've seen more new supporters groups started and they were started by people who have been fans for a long time, but decided they wanted to kind of do it their own way. They're still down there in that end with all the supporters, but they're taking their own attitude. And I think that's the spirit we've always had here is everyone is free to have their own way to do it. Uh, you're not shy about uh, expressing your opinion uh, and uh, criticism at times. So uh, I'll ask you, what are some of the things either from a local perspective with your team here uh, that you would want to see done either on or off the field? And maybe broaden it out uh, with things that you would have. If you had the commissioner's ear, if you were in on the owner's meetings, and you can say, this is the type of stuff that we need in order. Because you want the league to do well. You want the sport to do well. You've been around a long time. You have an incredible history and perspective on what has happened, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And you've seen this evolution of this sport both on and off the field. I, I want to see more cities involved. So I don't have any problem with this expansion at all. You say uh, expansion, go for it. It's just please, keep going. Because the country's so big. Why would we want to have a number of teams in the 20s or so with a country this size? And because eventually I wanted to become more regional. And being up here in the Twin Cities, we don't have much read. It's six and a half hours to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. It's six and a half hours to Chicago. Those are our rivals. We've also spent the last 15 years befriending all their fans. So when we go to those places, we all party together. And it's great. But I want more regionalism. I want more rivalries. They don't have to be off the field, but on the field. And so the more cities, the better. I, I would kill for a team in Milwaukee right now. You know, I mean, that's only five hours, but man, that would be good. And, and just tonight, 
the third division team in USL one, Madison, is making their home debut yep. tonight. The and, Flamingos. And, right? I, I love what they've done with that club. Yeah. It's incredible. And, and I want much more of that. I want, you know, even if it's a second division team, I want the team in Des Moines to grow up. I want there to be one in, in Omaha. I want there to be one in Lincoln. I want we, – we need more here in the Midwest. So I'm all for expansion. I probably should have done this uh, earlier, but can you give us just a Cliff Notes version of how you even came to this beautiful game? I grew up with American sports all around me. And when I was about 12 years old, a uh, family moved in next door, and the dad was German. And that's what he knew. And he looked around and said, how come there's no football team here in the neighborhood? And none of us had ever even heard of it, I don't think. This was 1973. And he put the ball down. I don't think I'd ever seen a ball. But we were all athletes, all the kids, so we just started playing. And I took to it immediately. It was fantastic. I mean, I played American football. I played basketball. I loved them both. But... There was something wrong about the way we got coached, the way the fans were. There was just something off about it, and the soccer coaches were different. There was a different – the kids I played with on the team were different. And then the Minnesota Kicks showed up two years later, and then Pelé came to a game. And we got to see all those things, and our team here was good, which really helped immediately energize people. And some of the games that we saw, some of the things we saw were – things that change your life forever. There was a, a playoff game where the Kicks beat the Cosmos 9-2. to two. If you don't become a fan after a game like that, you know, then it's not for you. But I was hooked. But then we had that problem of, of the 80s when there was almost no soccer in America, the first half of the 90s, almost no soccer, and that, you know, the 1990 team qualifying for the World Cup was another big one for me. But... At the time, I worked in music. I was in a different city every day. I barely had time to go to games. I missed all the 94 World Cup games. I didn't go to a single one. Even though I had tickets, I would end up I'm just giving, you know who giving them is, away. Then. That's, yeah. that's amazing. I would watch them on TV from my <laughs> hotel room, but I didn't get to go. And then MLS started, and, and we had this team here, the Minnesota Thunder, from 1990. And as we hit 94, 95, they became professional. And each year, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And when I left music in 2000, the 2001 season, I was just, I decided I'm all in. Two questions before we let you go. And I thank you so much for spending time uh, with us here. Number one, uh, when it comes to the supporters culture, what gives you the most pride about it? Uh, and number two, what irritates you the most about it? Well, the one thing that I think we have tried to do here and take it across the country is to befriend everyone. We don't have enemies, our supporters here. We do not have enemies from other cities, other teams, and we've seen that stupidity. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't dig it at all because I grew up with no other fellow soccer fans, and now I have this giant family, and I want everyone to have a great time. I don't like dysfunctional families. <laughs> I don't enjoy those at all. And... You're saying throwing sandwich boards at people doesn't make you a proper football supporter? Yeah, that's exactly really? what I'm saying, yeah. And, right. and we do it when we travel to other places. We tailgate with every team in this league. And when they come here this summer for the USA men, it's going to be one of the best parties you've ever been to. And, I can't and tell you, you how much I'm looking forward to that, but, by the way. But yeah, what do you do when people do make that argument and say, yeah, but that's not true, authentic, real supporters uh, type of mentality? Uh, you, you, you can't hang out with them and have friends with them. This is us against them. Wh what do you say to someone when they say that? It's not 
easy to argue with them, but I just try and lead by example and try and if, if this person doesn't want to befriend me, I go to their friend and try and befriend that person or the third one or the fourth one. And eventually almost everyone comes around because it's really not th that fun to be aggro all the time. Right. It, it gets old fast. And that's something that we have championed. And I love that about our supporters. What here. irritates you? Anything? Maybe it's the similarity from city to city in some of the songs, some of the way that it's delivered out of the supporters. Um, everyone I talk to always talks about how unique they are and all the supporters. And there's no such thing. And, and because it, it all started a long, long, long time ago, and we've all taken our impetus from someone, if we can drop in those bits of originality from our, our scene, our world, our town, that's great. But I want everyone just to relax a little bit and, and you know, not, not be so worried about this is, our, this is how we support our team. All right, finally, before we let you go, uh, I had uh, the pleasure of, uh, uh, of, of getting a tour of the stadium from Dr. Bill. It was wonderful. And, you know, proud Papa showing, showing me this, this stadium. Uh, we walked upstairs. Uh, there is a clock, an authentic traditional clock. And I know that this clock means a lot to you. So tell the folks out there, first off, what it is and the moment that you saw it uh, and what it meant to you in terms of the tradition and the history that exists in this area. Where the team used to play, the scoreboard had broken at one point, so they were renting little mobile scoreboards. And in 2006, a group of us went to the World Cup in Germany, and one day we were in Hamburg, and we went over to St. Pauli Stadium, and we got a little tour, and their stadium had this old-timey scoreboard with a round clock, and people went up and changed the numbers by hand. And we just thought it was great because it reminded us of baseball as kids. Fenway Park and Wrigley Field and, and here at the old Met Stadium out in Bloomington had the same thing. And we came back that summer, and... We saw that the scoreboard's broken. They don't have the money to replace it. And a bunch of fellow fans took napkins, drew up ideas. They got more and more and more detailed. They put together a cost analysis. They presented it to the sports center, and they looked at it and said, done. And they built this thing, and it lasted 10, 12 years. And when the first drawings came out of what this place was going to look like, somebody called me and said, you got to zoom in on the far end of this one drawing and take a look at what I think is on top of the stadium. And I looked, and there was this round scoreboard with what appeared to be numbers next to it. And I was blown away. I mean, I, I just something that came directly from the fans is now going to be built into this very, very, very nice, expensive stadium as a as a a nod to I was going to say, it's, it, it's not the clock that was at the National Sports Center. It's, no. it's more an homage. It's an homage yeah. to, Complete to, homage. Yeah. 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 And, and, of course, on the day that I got here, we, they were giving tours, and I got to see it. And it was, you know, it was overwhelming. <laughs> and I went up there, and I stood under it. I have way too many pictures of me standing under that thing because it's so personal. I mean, that is incredibly personal. That, that day that I snapped a shot of the scoreboard in St. Pauli, and now this thing's up on the roof here. And... Does it start moving faster if you guys are up a goal? Uh, it's like, is it all of a sudden? <laughs> no, it's definitely slower. <laughs> no matter what, it's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. But it's, it's thrilling to watch something that's that old-fashioned be that modern. And, and maybe the, the ultimate part of it was about a month before they installed it, they still hadn't said that they were putting this thing in. And I got a, a text from an unknown number, and it was a photograph of one of those big number boxes. And it was from the factory where they were making them. And it turned out somebody wow. who was building them had a friend 
who was a huge soccer fan and somehow had heard a story or something, and he said, I think that that guy you know might want to see this. And he got my number, and he texted me a photo, one of those big, giant numbers up there, and I, I, I was speechless. Uh, it was awesome. incredible. That's it's incredible. Awesome. And That's what a touch from an ownership group to say that to the fans. Well, you know? That it is so personal to you is what makes you great uh, and such an important part of you know, such a large group of great people uh, that uh, you have been a part of and the history that you have been a, been a part of. And so thank you so much for coming on the State of the Union, for telling us uh, all about uh, some of that history and, uh, uh, and speaking for so many others that I know uh, are out there that are part of this. Anything you want to say before you go? I just wanted to say I wore my Detroit hat just for you. Thank Alexi. you, my friend. Yeah, all right. I'm Detroit. a Detroit, I'm a Detroit there we fan go. as well. Let's get the... MLS to Detroit, baby. Bruce McGuire, ladies and gentlemen, give him a hand. Cheers. Thank you. All right. We well, that about wraps it up, doesn't it? That's it. There's nothing more? We no. Okay. But we are moving right along. We have one more, oh, wait, one, on, one more guest for you. Uh, Katie Witham, as I said, is the brains of the organization. You see her each and every week on our MLS coverage. Uh, she is an incredible talent. She is an incredible friend. She is a recent incredible mother. Uh, uh, that we will talk about here in a second. As she brings a beer up. Exactly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Katie with us. Hey, guys. Hi. I, ca I don't think I can go after that. I mean, wow, Bruce. That's I just good. told him. I'm like, really? I have to go up there now? Can He's you, fantastic. So we, we've not really done much on air about this because you've just gone about your work, and it's it doesn't yeah. – detail a little bit for our viewers. You are a new mother. I am. You know, we, we are fathers, but pretty much we just get on the airplane and go. We get a vacation away from our kids. Yeah, so Alexis is going to help you. She's Thank never you. worked with a microphone before. I don't, know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do with my hands right what now. What is this like being a, a working mother, but not just a working mother, but, you know, the travel inherent in what we do? G give us a sense of sort of what these weeks and weekends are like for you. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. Given that you bring it up, you <laughs> Ben Olsen walking in today, it's like, hey, man, how's it going? You know, uh, so you, you love to talk about these things. Yes. Well, wow. First question, right? Right. I'm glad somebody told me I need a Let's beer not waste to time. handle this. Okay. Uh, the giant clock is ticking. Above. Being a new mom is interesting. I've never done this before. I've told uh, you guys I'm learning about time management, but I am also trying to breastfeed my child, which traveling and it's very interesting carrying around breast milk. But yes, during our DC United interviews earlier, the time was ticking and I had to pump. And so sadly, Ben Olsen got to sit there with me with my portable pump and answer questions. And you know what? He's a dad. His wife did it as well. And he was like, wow, that thing's really cool. Like, you can't even It's incredible tell. technology. This yeah. thing that you have. It's, I mean, I scared you like, earlier, I think. It's like a Star <laughs> Wars thing, you know, like a stormtrooper type of thing. It it's, is. It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. But uh, it's been great. It's been tough. And it's got I'm lights tired. On it. It, it does. It yeah. does light up when Make it's zooming done. Sounds. <laughs> zooming it's, yeah. sounds. It's yeah, but it's hey, I'm living each day one day at a time, and it's I'm making it work, right? Oh, Mike, keep asking. Yeah, questions. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just you're gonna ask a breast pump question. And that's it. That's pretty good. We're gonna start on that. What is it like? So, you, so you, you know, your role with our broadcast, obviously, you're down there. You're with the coaches. You're with the players. Give yeah. us a sense because I think I don't think people appreciate the work that you're doing in game because we get you on when we can but yeah. it's well you talk too much john yeah it's very if true you would me, stop me talking every now and then give us <laughs> give, give the viewers a sense of the, the type of i mean because you're constantly moving you're constantly working in game what that's like and certainly with regards to i think the coaching staffs around the league the the 
respect that you've built with them, but also their willingness to be sort of interactive with our needs. I was trying to convince both head coaches to let me chat with them in-game on camera tomorrow, so um, putting them on the spot here on Alexi's podcast now, fingers crossed for me. No, but it's it's fun. It's the ultimate multitasking job because uh, I come in with all these storylines and I rarely get to use any of them, which Sorry. honestly is a good day for me, though, because that means I'm getting information from the sideline, and that's why I'm paid to be there, right? Your eyes and ears down there, but I'm, uh, I'm constantly moving back and forth. I'm listening to both benches. I'm trying to listen to the players closest to me on the field while listening to you two uh, and trying to connect the dots throughout our broadcast. But I think the most enjoyable part for me is the the relationships that you are required to have when you're on the sideline because I, I need them to know me, to trust me, to know I know the game, and to want to talk to me. And I think because I've been in the league for so long and uh, because I love the game, but also because I work hard, I think I do have that trust and respect from all the players and coaches. And more often than not, you know, it, we – I remember doing that Portland, Minnesota game, and I remember chatting with Adrian Heath when they were down four to one at that point, you know, and uh, and it may not be. Thanks for bringing it up, yeah. by the way. They, they, they appreciate all the know, references sorry, we're making. To sorry, that Loon fans. Um, no, but it's 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 fun and it's rewarding and it's it's a pleasure to get to work with you guys each and every week, too. Wow. wow. I know what, I've been drinking. I've been can, drinking. Well, can, can we tell the Orlando story? Is that. From a couple of years ago, can we tell that story? Is that statute of Which limitations? One is the that? one where you were hungover live on television. Can we talk about that? What, what else You're did you really want to get to? Did you have anything fall else? In love with me I here, can't remember huh? what we were going to talk about here. <laughs> no, it's a great story, though. No, no, but speaking of stories, you can name names or not name names, but you have all of these experiences down there. Yeah. Are there are there players uh, or coaches that have just been jerks at different times? <laughs> uh, are there players and coaches that have been wonderful well, in moments? I never uh, got in to interview you as a player, so. Mm. Me I would have been fine. <laughs> no one did that wasn't willing to pay a hundred bucks or more. Yes. Uh, I, I do. Uh, no, nobody's really ever been a jerk to me. Who would, I be, think. A jerk, who would be a jerk true. to you? I think. I think it's because you know. I, You're trying I'm right to there, not. I'm right upset there with, anyone. you know, uh, a jerky of, with the with the PR staff, like putting the pressure on, like, what, you don't want to do an interview with me? Are you sure? Um, no, everyone's been really nice. What's the most bizarre interaction bizarre. you have had with a player or a coach in game? <laughs> Because you told us some fun you know stories over the years of uh, something where it's like, dude, there's a game going on right now. Why yeah. are you? Well, doing I will this? say uh, the, the thing that sticks out the most is last season just being very pregnant on the sideline. And I was, Alexi, you know, I mean, I. Spoke, I don't, I've never been pregnant. Uh, I spoke with you so many times on can I do this? Can I be, you know, a pregnant sideline reporter? Am I going to offend people? And no, not only did I not do that, but I was embraced and I was supported. And I think one of the. I had so many people reach out to me and talk to me, but one of the games in particular was I think it was our, our Kansas City LAFC game at the end of the year and it was one of the first times that I was like super visibly pregnant and that was that was the day when we sort of made the thing publicly hey, by the way, actually showed on camera a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like I couldn't really hide it anymore. Um, but I hadn't seen Peter Vermees because I came in uh, late off of college football and missed our meetings. And so the first time I see Peter Vermees is on the sideline after the game has kicked off. And I'm standing there doing sideline in there at, at Children's Mercy Park. The sideline is about yay big. You know, I, I can stand in one spot and hear both benches. It's tremendous. But I'm standing there and we're like, I don't know. 
six, seven, eight minutes into the game, and all of a sudden, Peter walks over and is standing next to me, and he's like, hey, how are you? Oh my gosh, congratulations, you look great, how you feeling? And I'm Mr. going- Mr. Intends in game, Peter <laughs> yeah. Vermees, yeah. And I'm going, Peter, hi, I'm feeling great. There's a game going on, you're supposed to be, you know, and it was uh, just tremendous. So interesting little stories like that, but it just goes to show you that we really are a big, I, I think Bruce mentioned it, it's an MLS family, and it's so cool. It's so cool to be a part of. All right, last question before, uh, before we let you go here. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Game tomorrow. Give the folks uh, your, your pre preview. What, what's your aim what material? Are you what, it, what is your hammer you're going to swing for us here Well, my tomorrow? Oh, my hammer. I'm, I usually ask the questions. I'm not answering them, guys. Um... Well, first off, I haven't even been out there, so I can't wait to get out there. Um, and one of the cool things about our broadcast is we get to do this celebrating soccer segment, and so I get to go really experience the stadium, and I'm going to do that, and I'm really going to check out the clock per Bruce. But my A material, I mean, I'm just excited to see what happens when this one kicks off because I think we have two unique styles. I love chatting with Adrian Heath today, him talking about, listen, we've got – a plethora of wide players. We could add a few more to balance it out, but the way in which they want to build and, and, and kind of really get into things I think is going to be interesting to see what they throw out there, how DC United kind of combats it, and the way it plays out tomorrow. Am I being like, uh, you know, general well, enough no, I, I that think I'm, <laughs> what I, I'm Tell me if you disagree. As opposed I will tell to, you if I disagree. Well, last week as an example, LAFC at this point, they know what they're doing. It's a well-oiled machine, and they just do it. This feels like two teams that are not entirely sure, whether through injury, whether through new acquisitions, whether through just trying to find themselves, that are still very much in, in a building process and, and are not... Not to mention on short rest. They're both yeah, coming off Not locked games. into what they're doing, so there's an yeah, unpredictability that comes to this game. DC got their three points on the road in this, in this road trip, all yeah. right? I think they're ripe for the picking right now. It all comes down to whether that performance on Wednesday which was a good performance in terms of the ability to generate chances, mm -hmm. which was a horrible performance in the ability to finish those chances, yeah. is are they looking at glass half full or glass half empty? Do we, do we, do we lose all of our chances on the, on the midweek game? Actually empty. Your glass <laughs> is definitely empty. It's not even half empty. Or do they use it and say, all right, all we have to do is finish? Uh, and if they do, then they're going to be singing Wonderwall, as we know, at the end, uh, at the, end of the game. Uh, I think, as, as I said, for Minnesota, that was a really... That was a loss of points that they shouldn't have lost. They yeah. should have won that game with the amount of points that they generated. I don't care what Zlatan says or anybody else says. Without, by the way, without Dos Santos, there was no chance that they were even going to be in that game. And that they got out of there with one point, uh, they were lucky. Yeah. But this is a whole other team and a whole other game. But I think, that they, I think that DC in this moment can be had. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think that they find a way to get the three points. And certainly they need it. I think that was our takeaway. This team needs to sort of break the seal yep. on this place. They need to get that win. They need to just sort of get over that hump. And then there's a chance to get on a roll a little bit, as teams do in new stadiums. But this is... Look at DC United last year. Yep. Exactly as a, as a very good example. So, so it's a big pressure opportunity here. What time, Karutz, we're doing a yeah, Twitter we're gonna do some, thing We're doing a Twitter pregame tomorrow, aren't we? Yeah. So what time are we on for that? 12.10. 12 10. 10. So 1.10 1 10 Eastern time. On Twitter at Fox Soccer, and then 1.30 Eastern time on FS1 tomorrow. We're going to take some questions, because we yeah. promised right. to take some questions. We're going to give away some tickets. All right. Uh, no, no, no. You're not stay. going anywhere. You, you, oh. You're going to answer you some of these questions. You stay right there. I, answer I, some I, of these questions. You uh, are, we have a microphone over there. Nervously, though. Oh, make like sure that it's working. On Step up, young man. Before. Make sure it's working. Hello? Yes, it is. All right. Name, uh, affiliation, 
sign, uh, likes, dislikes, whatever you want, and uh, your question. Well, my name is Riley McConville. I'm from the great state of Minnesota. All right, over Riley. Over on Lake Minnetonka, best lake ever. Um, so my question for you guys is, uh, how do you think Christian Pulisic will fare at Chelsea, and will he deal with the pressure well? Got it. Good question. Uh, I think that Christian Pulisic is coming into a situation that, once again, is ripe if he recognizes the opportunity. I think Chelsea's going to go through a huge transition uh, in this, uh, in, in, uh, over the summer uh, with the loss of possibly some big names. You know who, you know who I'm talking about. So from Christian's perspective, he can come in uh, and be uh, not, not just a part, but a vital part because there are going to be opportunities to play and there's going to be opportunities to bring this club, Alex, Alex Dowd over there, our, our Chelsea uh, uh, fan over there. Bring it back to the level that Alex wants it to be at. So yeah, I think he, I think he's going to be fine. My only caveat is he's got to stay healthy, and unfortunately, he has this propensity to get hurt, and that's not a good uh, it's not a good thing for any player to have that, especially for a young player right now. Because when he is playing and playing consistently, that's when I think we get the best out of him. Do I answer too, or is it? Yeah, go ahead. If you got something else, the only thing I would add is just this: Uh, in one way, he's going from a big club to another big club. But Dortmund is a very comfortable situation for him. He went there as a young kid. He grew up in that club. Now you're going to Chelsea, which is not broken, but is precarious in a lot of different ways on the field, the managerial situation, the ownership situation, and he has a massive price tag uh, sort of hanging over his neck right now. So I'm very interested to see how he handles this, and I couldn't be more interested to. You know, we're going to have the opportunity with the, with the Gold Cup on, on FS1. We got the friendlies in June, sitting down with him and trying to get a sense of, of where his head is at. It's Dortmund's had a weird, another weird season. He's had a tough season. Now he's making, I mean, this is very, very deep water for a kid who is still very young and has already had the weight of pressure and expectation in this country really heavy on him. And, and how he handles the Gold Cup this summer, how he handles the move to Chelsea. He's going to be fine. You're going to break him. It, He's going to be will, okay. Yeah, but potentially yeah. it forges him through fire. I, but but th- this is, this is significant. Put his arm around I'm, I'm excited. Oh, my goodness. Thank you very much. Thank I you. appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Next. Hi. Hello. Um, my name is Macy. Hey, Macy. And so my question is, do you think Allianz Field will be a fortress for the U.S. men's national team? Who are they playing? Why not? Guyana. If it's not a fortress against <laughs> Guyana, something is seriously worse than well, we thought. You think I had a rant last time when we didn't make the play or the World Cup uh, after uh, Trinidad? If we lose, you to will go Gu- live Guyana? on your phone at two thirty a.m. from in Paris. Paris. <laughs> Look, I, I think that the interesting thing is is that there is this opening. With all due respect to the the history uh, and the, the times that we have had at Columbus, I think that there is an opening right now for some stadium to kind of step up. Because remember. Columbus wasn't named the unofficial type of uh, national team stadium for our men's team just because they said this is what's going to happen. It was because of a history of doing very, very well and taking teams to an unpleasant environment and, a, and an environment that enabled the team to uh, have the best chance of winning. It is ripe for another stadium to step up. Look, I, I've seen a lot of stadiums, okay, and I'm not here about comparing and contrasting and stuff like that, but I will say that I am more than impressed and it takes a lot to impress me okay this is this is something special this isn't something special for minnesota okay this is something special 
for the country and for the world what they, what they have done here. I, I am blown away by this. This is, much, this is much better than I ever thought it was going to be. And I, look, I'm, I'm, once again, I'm not pandering. As you know, you know I, I got security here. They will run my ass a, a out little, of here if I just say it, it, it sucks. It doesn't suck. It's the opposite of sucks, whatever, whatever that is. It's an incredible environment. So to answer your question, yes, this has the potential to be a place that Greg Berhalter and this team says, we want to go there because it's a beautiful stadium, because we play well there, because we know we're going to be supported, and because ultimately this is a soccer town. I, I will add this. I think, I think this building moves very high on the list, and I do agree. I think Columbus is, until the new stadium is built, probably out of the rotation to a certain extent. Um, when we come here, for, and I get Guyana's not the sexiest opponent. I don't want just to see this place full. It's great the seats are full. It needs to be loud. Every single person, this is my challenge to the fans that are coming here, every single person in the building needs to be engaged. If everyone in the building is engaged in what's going on, is engaged in the atmosphere, and it feels loud and it feels big, it shoots to the top of the list. If it's a packed stadium, but the majority of people, as we've seen plenty of places in this country, are sort of sitting and watching, waiting for something to happen, to react to, that's not as good as it could be. So I, I, it'll be a good test. I want to see what it's like tomorrow, and I'm excited to come back for, uh, with, with our, my good buddy Stu for the game uh, against Guyana in the Gold Cup. To add on to that, it doesn't just shoot to the top of the list in terms of the atmosphere. I mean, this we is a sat Columbus down. resident speaking <laughs> Columbus right resident, now. yes. But we had a chance to sit down with Bob Bradley last week before our LAFC game, and we talked about the atmosphere that's brought. And they want to say, listen, when we're out on the field, we're focused on the game, you know, we're kind of locked in but then they said no it makes a difference when those fans are engaged and they're cheering in the right moments uh, you you hear it you feel it but you you play up to that energy and he and even that's talked all about them, not just the ones that that yeah. are you know in, in the in the standing terraces yeah. but the whole building yeah. and it's not just game time too i mean he talked about when they come out for warm-ups if if the fans aren't there if they aren't loud then they have to find a way to get energy themselves rather than draw it from from the supporters, and so I, I, I love the fact that you're challenging, like, hey, get Bring loud, it. be Bring out it. there, because that's yep. that's what the U.S. needs most. I, I am an atmosphere snob, being from Portland. <laughs> I admit that readily, so I'm, I'm excited to see what this can offer tomorrow. Thank you very much for your question. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, last question? Last question. Name. And uh, uh, my question is, how does MLS need to change to have a fair chance in the CONCACAF Con Champions League? Greg, you said? Uh, yeah. Thank you for your question, Greg. Uh, so CONCACAF Champions League, it is this, this thing that we, we crave, we need, we feel we must have uh, in order to be relevant uh, and in order to show the world and everybody else that we are progressing. Uh, it, it's it's a nice to have. We would love to have it. But the reality is that, and I think Peter Vermes was really, really good in laying out, once again, the realities of what is going on. Doesn't come at a great time, uh, so we're already, uh, we're all, it's already a challenge for that. Early in the season, the way it starts, that what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't come, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're already challenged for that. But then just the actual depth and the amount of money that uh, teams are being spent. I don't like to use that as an excuse. It doesn't mean that it's not problematic going forward. So until we actually are on a consistent basis competing, we don't have to be exactly, but and we talked earlier about possibly getting rid of some of the restrictions and letting teams and owners that want to go and do some things and spend more money. If and when that happens, 
and we are competing with the, with, with the likes of uh, Liga MX in terms of the money that they spend. And look, money doesn't solve all problems. It doesn't necessarily buy a better team, but you can certainly hedge your bets. And I think everybody recognizes that it is simple as if and when MLS teams are spending money, there will be that much greater chance that we are going to win, and not just win one, not just have a, 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 a blip or an anomaly, an aberration that comes up, but consistently be there challenging with the players, the 11 that you have, and also with the depth that you are able to buy with that more money. Now, in saying that, RSL should have won in 2011. In saying that, Toronto should have won last year. In saying that, Montreal was up in the second half a couple of years ago. It was your guy, Darwin Quintero, that, that murdered all of them. And for that matter, I can make a convoluted argument that San Jose could have gone on a run in 2014. So these things could have been different, and the conversation could be very different, if not for some very narrow margins. But absolutely, you're not going to be able to control the timing of the tournament. What you can control is the amount of money you are willing to let the owners spend that they're willing to spend anyway, so that all the way down your roster, not just 1 through 11, but 12, 13, 14, 15, is matching the quality of player that you're playing against. We can compete now roster spots one through three, four, five-ish. No question. It's the rest of the way down. It's across the team. Mexico's just spending on a different level. And, and at the end of the day, in the global soccer marketplace, money buys quality. Anything, Katie? No. Well said, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your Thank question. You. Thank you. All right. We have come to the end of yet another State of the Union. I want to thank all of my guests. I want to thank everybody uh, that has come out here tonight, that's, hang at, uh, that's hung out with us, uh, the folks that asked the questions. We do have to give away some tickets before we go. We get to give away some tickets. No, we get to. You make it sound like we an obligation. Like we have. Uh, thank you, okay. Adrian Heath, for buying our beers, by the way, if he's still here. Is that? Okay. <laughs> okay, so what are these? Are these the winners? Oh, pull two randoms. Well, let's let, here, let, let her do that. What? Pull, pull two cards here. Oh, you're putting this on me? Here we go. So, again, if you don't get tickets, it's Katie's fault. Yep. Katie. Although, if you're in here right now, you probably already have tickets. So, this is how you're this getting is, beer money next week friends, by reselling. Though. You got friends. Yeah. All right. Uh, first winner, Mike from St. Paul. Mike from St. Paul. Come on down. Do we know where Mike from St. Paul is. Mike from St. Paul. Going once. If he's not there, he asked a question about Kaku. Mike from St. Paul? All right. And literally it says Kaku. What? Okay, here we go. Uh, mice. Huwaish. There you are. Oh, my goodness. There you go. So there you go. We'll get your Alex over there will hook you up. Congratulations. Just, just give that to the ticket two booth tickets. tomorrow. And you, yeah, exactly. We should do another one, too, because Mike's not here, right? Yeah, you snooze, you lose, Mike. Wait, how many questions did you submit? One. One. Oh, and One. we put it back in. Yeah. I, okay, I thought like, submit she question? submitted four of them she to win She got picked tickets. actually to ask her question, like, wow. and she won tickets. That was impressive. All right, uh, the other one is Mike's not here, right? Have we established that? Mike's not here. All right, for the other pair of tickets, uh, Elena Engum. Elena Engum, are you here? Elena? Elena? Oh, Elena. Sorry, Elena. I thought I said Elena. Elena, do you know? Is, we've you we've held our Elena? audience really well that well, people have left. It's here. It's great. That's wonderful. As we're trying to give them free tickets. Last chance. Last chance here. What do you think that says? You got that uh, Marin. cool. What? Marin. Marin. Ortmer. Ortmeyer. Marin. There's Marin. There she is. There we go. All right. 
Marin, you're going to talk to Alex right there. He's going to hook you up there with, uh, with those tickets for tomorrow, those two tickets. Uh, we come to the end of a show. Thank you so much for hanging out how with us. How do you us. end the show? Do we do like a, a cheer or a chant or like ah, a, I just, I we just, sing a song? Or I, just, how does it? I, I give you my one big thing okay, from the gotcha. show. So I, I give you my one big thing. And my one big thing, obviously, uh, is relative to a lot of the stuff that we have talked about here today. And I think... Uh, when Bruce was up here, as you mentioned, uh, talking so eloquently um, and so passionately about what we have created, as a guy that has been around for a long time and has seen all the different things on and off the field and the good times uh, and the bad times, each and every time I get to go to some place like this and I get to celebrate with the people and I get to see the passion that they bring and that they have for this game and for their team, but more importantly for their soccer community, because your soccer community is more than just your MLS team. Your soccer community, let's be honest, is more than just a stadium. Your soccer community is all the different people. I was up at 6 o'clock this morning out at a bubble out uh, on the outskirts of town playing soccer and watching these, you know, it was an adult soccer game, but there were 10-year-olds running around and all that kind of stuff. It is this, and I think Bruce said it, this, this soccer family that we are all a part of. At times we're dysfunctional, at times we fight. Uh, but ultimately, it is our family. It is La Cosa Nostra. It is our thing, warts and all. It is very, very special. And each and every time that I get an opportunity to see something like this, it reminds me of all of the men and women for so many decades now that have worked so hard to get us to this point. It also reminds me of all the men and women, many of them in here, that are going to continue to work for decades in the future to give you know, some of these little kids the opportunity so they are growing up where they don't know about all the challenges and the hardships that happens. When these guys are growing up, they're coming to a stadium like this. They are watching their Minnesota United. They are part of Minnesota United's development. They are watching multiple leagues. They are watching the expansion of MLS, and whether it's MLS or USL, they are watching these teams. They are watching our incredible women's team each and every World Cup. They're watching NWSL. They're watching all of the soccer that we have domestically, but as I said in the State of the Union, also with an understand that they're playing the same game that everybody's playing around the world. And while we think globally, we act locally when it comes to our soccer, and it makes me so proud and so happy to see this continuation uh, when it comes to the evolution of the game, and, the, and in particular when it comes to the evolution of this team and what they have built here. So thank you so much for coming out. Uh, tune in each and every week to the State of the Union podcast. Uh, we will be back again next week. My good friend David Mossy, I look forward to seeing you back in Los Angeles. I miss you and I love you, my friend. Uh, thank you so much. And as always, size the day.